Listener Production. Just a warning, this episode contains some explicit language. Spies like to swear. What should I call you in, in order to protect your identity? Like a, a code name or something? Badger? Water rat? Moly? Nah. Can't call me Moly. It's too close. Bandicoot? Uh, I don't know. Toss a few around. I don't really care. I thought maybe Chook because of all the different types of chickens you keep in your garden. Not really. That's a bit too sort of feathered. Fair enough. Well, some people call me the Swamp Fox. Swamp? Fox. It, it reminds me a bit of like, it sounds a bit like Shrek, you know, like the movie about the ogre. Look, I don't mind if you want to use swamp. The reason for all this back and forth is because identifying an ASIO officer is illegal. I could face 10 years in jail. You can identify a retired officer in some circumstances. I thought it would be better to play it safe, though. So swamp is a code name. And what you're hearing now is actually a voice actor. I've had people ringing me up and then coming down to talk to me about various things, and you're one of them, but I don't think any of the others know. I first sent a letter to Swamp. I'd covered the envelope in sticky tape so it would be obvious to him if someone tried to open it before it got to him. He didn't trust me at first, but now we talk quite regularly. I visited Swamp at his home and met his wife. He has fresh vegetables growing in the garden and some impressive chickens. He wants to talk because what happened when he was at ASIO is unresolved. Swamp was first recruited to ASIO back in the 1960s. The tap on the shoulder, as it's called in the spy business. I got a phone call asking me to an interview. And I went into a very dingy building in Melbourne. Oh God, it was dingy. It was like going into a broom cupboard. And there I was, interviewed by somebody that looked like the dead spit of Colonel Sanders and another bloke. They said, we're from ASIO. Australia's answer to MI5. I mean, that doesn't sound half bad. I mean, rather thrilling, really, eh? Swamp worked at ASIO for three decades. He spent a lot of his life undercover, fighting a covert battle against the Soviet Union spies who worked for the KGB. We were all worried about Russian invasions and, you know, being bombed and all the rest of it. You could take Australia off the board with eight warheads. When the world was on edge, worried that nuclear war could break out at any moment, an Australian spy, one of Swamp's colleagues, turned to work for the enemy. I wondered if Swamp could take me inside Asia and help me find the mole. I'm Joey Watson. This is Secrets We Keep, Nest of Traitors. You've heard of the wilderness of mirrors. Mm. Once you find yourself researching it this way... I'm already in it. Right, okay, okay. This phrase, the wilderness of mirrors, is a huge cliché in espionage. 
it describes a world where it's not clear if what's in front of you is real. And at this point in my mole hunt, I can relate. While I've only been navigating this world for a few years, Swamp lived in this world for decades. He spent his career trying to catch Soviet spies. Sword and shield of the state. They were the ones that we had to worry about. I can tell you this much, and I will say this. I think, without fear of contradiction, that the calibre of KGB officers that came to this country was as good as anywhere else, if not better. They were putting a lot of effort into, well, you know, recruiting anybody, literally. And of course, the highest priority of the Soviet services was always to recruit people from foreign intelligence. In other words, recruiting a mole. ASIO's challenge was to catch Soviet spies spying by spying on them. Yes, this was spies spying on spies. It's easy to see where the whole wilderness of mirrors thing comes from. The methods that spy agencies use to do their spying is referred to as tradecraft. Tradecraft, yeah, that's the good stuff. Swamp started by telling me about ASIO's mobile squads. An MSD. A mobile surveillance division. These were the spies on the streets, sitting in cars or park benches reading newspapers. They hid cameras in books and cigarette packets. I can confirm that many wore trench coats too, but I can't tell if this is because they've read too many spy novels or if spy novelists have read them. A real chicken or the egg dilemma. The idiot that I was with was wearing a, a green pork pie hat and a Burberry overcoat. Other spies were planted at fixed locations. These were called observation posts or OPs. You'd have someone in there all the time. There was a funeral home opposite the, well, not so opposite, but close to the Soviet embassy. There was one room in there where we had a camera and an operator all the time. So we used to get as much photographic coverage as we could. Other sorts of OPs were more tenuous. If they were going to a hotel, say, and they were booked in for three days, you'd have a temporary OP occupied by some of your people, but hopefully not run into Soviets. ASIO also used phone taps and secret recordings, eavesdropping on phone conversations or installing tiny microphones in ceilings. It's a case of getting a hell of a load of material going through and sorting out what's what. Terrible lot of material to go through. Needles and haystacks and all that sort of thing. Or flies and horse pucky. And then there are the sources. ASIO would try and recruit people who had access to the Soviets, like next-door neighbours and secretaries. Someone that you've got so closely alongside to, and they're on best mate terms with a Soviet intelligence officer, but they're reporting to you. And that means the highest degree of knowledge and coverage. Spying on the Soviets was difficult, and ASIO had to get creative. They even tried to lure them with sex. I learned about one story that involved one ASIO spy, a young woman who was directed to cross paths with a known KGB spy in Canberra to seduce him, to get him close and steal his secrets. In 1967, ASIO hosted a party. Not that type of party. 
and invited a bunch of politicians and high-ranking public servants to create a space for her to get close to the KGB spy. ASIO invited all the wrong people. A group of government ministers wouldn't leave the ASIO spy alone all night. The mission failed. Even with all of the tactics that ASIO used to weed out Soviet spies, the trench coats, surveillance posts, trying to get KGB spies into bed, I know the Soviets managed to infiltrate ASIO, to turn an Australian spy into a mole. Now, I wanted to talk about the mole. Yes? I learned in episode one that ASIO received a tip-off after the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991 that one of their spies had become a mole working for the KGB. The investigation by the Australian Federal Police that followed tried to find them. The AFP built a profile for the mole. They had a five-letter surname and a wife that also worked for ASIO. But before all of this, Swamp says, there was already a strong feeling within ASIO something was up. It was tense, very tense. There was more than one rotten apple in the barrel. In the middle of 1980, ASIO receives some information about a man named Geronti Lazovic. Lazovic had worked as a senior diplomat at the Soviet embassy in Canberra. This new information said Lazovic had received the Order of the Red Star. You don't get the Red Star unless you've done something really good. It's for exceptional service in defence of the Soviet Union. Believe me, I have discussed that at length with experts in four services. And all they say is that that sort of medal is given for a successful recruitment of a particularly good operation. The information also said Lazovic was given the Red Star for recruiting a mole in Australia. When ASIO learnt this, they suspected that they were the spy agency that the mole was recruited in. So colleagues became suspects. To work in an atmosphere of distrust, I think everybody connected with counterintelligence and counterespionage in ASIO looked over their shoulder. In the office I shared a bloke with, if I had files on my desk and went off the key, I had to put them in my safe and lock them up. Even though I shared a room with him. I needed to learn more about Lazovic. I wondered if he recruited the mole that I'm hunting for. So I searched for him. I started online, obviously. I found a post about Lazovic from 2022 on v which is Russia's version of Facebook. There's a picture of an old man, I assume that's him, with what looks like his wife and two grown-up kids. The post says, Yesterday, our neighbour turned 90 years old. Geronti Lazovic served in the intelligence of the Soviet Union for many years. We wish you good health and a long life. I found an email connected to the page that made the post. Hello, Joey Watson here. I am a journalist in Australia. I Google translated this all into Russian, by the way. I don't speak Russian, so I hope this email makes sense. I am trying to get in touch with John T. Lazovic, who you posted about here. I would be very grateful for any suggestions on how to contact him. Joey. 
I wasn't able to make contact with Geronti Lazovic. Searching for an ex-Soviet diplomat on Russia's Facebook wasn't going to cut it. I had to dig deeper and hunt for information in more official places. That's how I ended up in the research centre at the National Archives in Canberra, where heaps of government records are stored. If ASIO thinks someone might be a threat to national security, they'll start to investigate them. Like, ASIO suspected Lazovic might have been a KGB spy, so they started watching him and documenting everything. Over its history, ASIO has created thousands of files that document decades of investigations and surveillance. You can request to access these files from the past. And if you're lucky, and it's not too sensitive, ASIO might let you read them. The documents inside them almost always have big chunks blacked out. The juiciest, most secret stuff, it's redacted. So they're kind of like puzzles. Some people find hunting through ASIO files thrilling. I've heard them described as archives rats, researchers who become hooked on clues hidden in tons of manila folders. I'm not one of them. I find it exhausting. But the show must go on. There's so much surveillance on Lazovic. His records fill up 17 manila folders, hundreds of pages in each, two tubs full. With this much paper, Surely there had to be something somewhere in here about the mole Lazovic supposedly recruited. Okay, so here we go. Page one of about, like, one million. Asio was watching and recording Lazovic's movements the minute he got off the plane at Sydney Airport, August 1971. Here it says, apparent age, 35 to 40 years. Height, 5'10". Build, medium. Hair, fair, receding at the temples and crown. Complexion, olive. Face, round with high cheekbones. General appearance, neat. Wears a dark suit, white shirt and tie. Vehicle, Holden Monero. Surely no one's ever stolen state secrets in a Holden Monero. Ezio watched Lazovic and his family set up their life in Canberra. They got a house, put the kids into school. On the 9th of August, Ezio surveilled Lazovic taking a driving lesson with his predecessor at the embassy. Agent notes, Lazovic looks very nervous at the wheel. Perhaps he's never driven before. Interesting. Ezio began tapping his phone. There are heaps of incredibly boring transcripts of conversations Lazovic had. Like in one, Lazovic calls his wife and says, Dahlia, did you call? Jera, we did not buy any milk. Are you on your way home? You might buy some. I thought we had some. No, they drank it all. Well, we'll buy. I'll drop in and buy some. Being a spy isn't always the James Bond action-packed stuff you might hope for. Note from agent, Lazovic and his wife appear to have a good family relationship. Well, that's nice. So many of the Lazovic files are about things like diplomatic dinner parties or family holidays on the South Coast. 
There were some documents that talk about Lazovic having spy-like rendezvous. He'd meet people in Sydney and they would walk around in circles and talk in coded language, but it wasn't enough to pin him as a KGB spy. After hours of reading through ASIO surveillance, I did find one interesting document. Redacted, redacted, redacted. Information has been obtained that Geronti Lazovic is an officer of the Soviet intelligence service operating under diplomatic cover. This document shows that by May 1973, ASIO knew that Lazovic was a KGB spy. The whole diplomat thing, that was just a cover. The Soviets often sent their spies overseas pretending to be working diplomatic jobs. It says, he's attempted in a conspiratorial manner to obtain confidential information affecting Australia's relationship with other countries. Redacted, redacted, redacted. The source of the information about Lazovic being a spy is redacted, but it has all the signs of being a tip-off from an overseas spy agency. Spy agencies like the CIA would share information with other Western countries like Australia. ASIO wasn't able to work out that Lazovic was a spy on their own. Cultivate low-level members, redacted, 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 redacted. Different, new and serious information about Australian government attitudes and policies. Big redaction. After learning Lazovic was a KGB spy, ASIO prepared a submission to the federal government to have him expelled from Australia. But the evidence in the files wasn't enough. Lazovic was allowed to stay. He wouldn't leave Australia until 1977. After working my way through 17 huge manila folders, which took me more than two full days, I was tired and grumpy. There was nothing more than endless observations, vague analysis, and when Lazovic left Australia, ASIO stopped watching him. The files stopped. A couple of days later, I spoke to a source and found out something that frustrated me even more. I needed to sit down with my editor, Claire Weaver, to talk it out. I've now learnt that the files that I'd gone through, the 17 folders, there was actually another 19 folders that were made about Lazovic and they had all been destroyed. Why? In February 1980, with no reason recorded. Who destroyed them? I, I don't know. I don't know. And my source doesn't know. Like, the, the, it's, it's, um, it's, it's unknown. And So why didn't they destroy everything? Why did they only destroy those files? Yeah, I know. <laughs> These are exactly the sorts of questions that, that I started to ask, and I haven't really been able to get a clear answer. Yeah, that's weird. That's so... It's really weird. It's so strange, right? Yeah. And then I thought about how when we tried to get the files related to the George Sedil prosecution, which is, you know, 13 years after this, and that you spent so much time dealing with Canberra courts to try and get these folders, and it turned out... And we'd even paid them, I think, for the research time. And then it turned out that there was nothing in that file either. And, you know, I don't know, it's just like... It's sensing a pattern here. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a pattern of, like, just disappearing information. And, of course, these are completely different files, right? Like, because one set of files exists in ASIO's vault and the other one is court files from a completely different context. Mm. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just a a bit at a loss (laughs) because... Yeah, all this key missing evidence wherever we turn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
As a journalist, I've been given advice that when things look like they could be a conspiracy or a stuff-up, always assume a stuff-up. I've held that closely, especially in this investigation. When everything is hidden, anything can look sinister. But whether it's a conspiracy or a stuff-up, I'm left in the same situation. I couldn't find any clues to help me identify which ASIO spy Lazovic might have turned into a mole. Let me recap quickly, for my sake, if nothing else. A lot has happened and it's hard to keep track of it all. In 1980, ASIO had been told that Lazovic, a KGB spy, was given a medal in Moscow for recruiting a mole in Australia. Many Australian spies suspected that ASIO was the spy agency that Lazovic had targeted, that he turned someone from within the spy agency. When I went through the files that ASIO had collected on Lazovic, I found that they were vague, and I then discovered that most of them had been destroyed. After ASIO learned about Lazovic receiving the Order of the Red Star, Swamp says it was up to him to go back through the Lazovic files. The thing is that when I went through the Lazovic files, and I didn't really want to do it, but I thought, well, you know, I mean, I've got to do something with them. I had a good look around, and you wouldn't believe it was, it was second-rate research. I mean, lots of terrible assumptions being made, which, well, they wouldn't hold water. Those who covered him directed operations against him. They were a bunch of fuckwits. I mean, they deployed resources against Lazovic without exactly knowing what they were doing. It was a sort of a blanket coverage, but it was purposeless. I mean, they didn't have any real goals set out. Well, I don't know what they thought he was going to do. It was just crap. I mean, the files are, are absolutely jammed with rubbish. Ad hoc decision making, you know, no sign of a plan. I've spent a lot of time talking to Swamp and I can tell that the problems with Lazovic were the tip of the iceberg. A few decades into his retirement, he feels that his years at ASIO were for nothing. I came to fight the Russians and the KGB. And, you know, cat spies, and we bloody well failed. You know? I mean, at least I was here to give it my best shot. I mean, my life's been wasted. We were a link in the chain, but we're always the weakest link. I obviously asked Swamp if he knew who the mole was. He has theories, but doesn't know anything for certain. Although he did tell me something I didn't expect. Having moles in Australia means you effectively were a glove puppet of the KGB or the Soviet Union, or call it what you will. Swamp says moles, plural. Now think about it. Intergenerational penetration. Dispersed across the Commonwealth. I can say that with a great degree of honesty. What Swamp's suggesting is that the mole inside ASIO wasn't acting alone. And maybe there was more than one Australian spy who had been turned by the KGB. I've been told that once the KGB got a mole in their enemy's spy agency, they instructed the mole to try and identify colleagues that could also be turned. This is moles looking for more moles. The fabric of nightmares, my friend. The fabric of nightmares. And don't forget, whatever I say to you has to be double-checked. 
and triple checked because they might be running around telling people I'm mad. <laughs> Possibly I am. I took Swamp's advice and went after more evidence to try and back up what he'd already told me. During my search for more evidence, I found a video. It's an interview that was broadcast on Australian television in 1994, after the Cold War ended. The KGB Spymaster. That's our story tonight. The KGB Spymaster being interviewed is a former director of the KGB. He had been one of Russia's most powerful spies. His name is Oleg Kalugin. After the Soviet Union collapsed, Kalugin did something very un-KGB. He became a pro-democracy activist and wrote an autobiography. That's why he's here speaking to Western media. Kalugin said that in the late 1970s, an ASIO spy approached the KGB by the Soviet embassy in Canberra and offered to be a mole. That was roughly 1977. This could be the mole Lazovic, the KGB spy, recruited. Lazovic was working at the Soviet embassy in Canberra between 1971 and 1977. But this is just the one mole. Kalugin then says... I always suspected uh, that there might have been some more than just one person behind him because of the wide range of his access to the classified information. I always suspected that there might have been more than one person behind him. Did you ever ascertain the mole's identity? No, I never knew the identity. I never named the names because they would simply damage the reputation and lives of people who at one time, for different reasons, entrusted their lives to the Soviets. Kalugin is still alive today. He didn't answer my request to talk, but from this interview... It's clear that at least in the 1990s, this former director of the KGB raises the possibility of there being more than one mole in ASIO, and that one of the moles was a man who had offered themselves willingly to the KGB. Swamp told me about a fabric of nightmares, the wilderness of mirrors, whatever you want to call it. I definitely feel like this investigation is becoming a nightmare and is way bigger than what I originally set out to solve. When I set out on my mole hunt, people advised me against it, saying that this was the sort of story that sent people insane. I'm beginning to see why, but now I've got a whole podcast series riding on it, so I'm in too deep. There's something else Kalugan said in this interview that really grabbed my attention. Kalugan suggests that the mole wasn't just providing the KGB with Australian secrets, but secrets from its allies, including America and the UK. Australia was and is part of the very tight secret brotherhood of the CIA, the British MI5, the Canadians and New Zealand, of course. And for that reason, the penetration into the Australian security and intelligence organisation was a matter of priorities. What secrets is Kalugin talking about? What did Australia have from all these countries that the KGB wanted? I'm driving into the desert to visit a town that was built as a secret defence facility during the Cold War. 
and a whole lot of crazy stuff went on there. That's next time on Secrets We Keep, Nest of Traitors. If you're enjoying this journey so far, I would be extremely grateful if you could leave a review on your podcast app uh, and tell your friends, maybe even a quick spruik in your group chats. And if you want more Nest of Traders, check out our YouTube series, Nest of Traders Declassified, where we chat about the stuff that's in the series and go behind the scenes a bit as well. There's a YouTube video for every episode. Secrets We Keep, Nest of Traders is created and hosted by me, Joey Watson. Their supervising producer is Jake Morecambe, executive producer Ellen Leabeater, sound design by Niall Fernandez, fact-checking by Bonnie Lavelle, theme song by Matt Nikolic. The role of Swamp was played by Jack Henry, reading transcripts of interviews with the actual Swamp, archived from Australian Broadcasting Corporation Library Sales. This podcast was recorded on Ngunnawal and Gadigal land. I'd like to pay my respects to elders past and present. <laughs>